All right, so it is another season of What Do I Do Now? This is episode three, and I have the privilege, the honor, the pleasure, truly. Like, it's to talk with a friend, to talk to a colleague, to talk to someone that truly is blazing trails in her own right. I'm talking to a TV anchor, a media professional, and, of course, a woman of Alpha, Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, <laughs> Miss Aaliyah I would Edwards. hit the ski weed, but my voice is a little raspy right now. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. The real ones know. How are right, you doing, right. Aaliyah? I'm doing good. How are you, Sam? I'm good. It's a you know wonderful day. You know, it's Father's Day weekend and celebrating Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're just feeling extra black today. And of course, this month I've just been highlighting black women on the podcast, and I definitely wanted to make sure I um, got you on here because your story and what you're doing and. The, the life journey that, that, you know, you're taking right now is wonderful. And I definitely want to make sure I, you know, champion that. Well, I appreciate that. I'm honored. Not a problem. So we're going to get right into it. How did you get your start in the news field? Um, so I always think this question is a little funny. But um, when I got started, I wouldn't say that I was like bit by the news bug per se. When I was young, I was really into writing. And what I would do was I would create like my own newspaper in a sense. And that started in fifth grade. And all these stories were basically just stories out of my imagination that I would make up. Like there was a little advice column and like I could have my friends like write in and I would kind of give them like little fifth grade advice in this little advice column and stuff like that. And it really took off. It was something fun to do. And I never imagined that the whole fifth grade would be wanting a subscription to my little fake newspaper, but (laughs) it took off. And that was kind of when I realized I really enjoy writing. I really enjoy storytelling. So it wasn't until I got into high school that, which I went to Ben Davis in Indianapolis, and it wasn't until I took a journalism class there and under the instruction of Mr. Goins, who led the BDTV program, is really when I fell in love with television. We were set up just like a typical newsroom. You know, we would be assigned certain stories and um, we would have deadlines. Now, because we were in high school, it wasn't as nearly of a killer deadline as it is in the real world. So we had about a week <laughs> to turn our stories because our newscast was every Friday. But it was so much fun. It allowed me to get out of the classroom and um, even into the community, telling stories in our community as well as in our high school. So, um, it really wasn't until I had that class that Mr. Goins helped me realize the passion that I really had for storytelling and that I should consider going to school for it and possibly making it a career. And it was just a done deal, no brainer at that point. So I would say I'm one of the lucky ones that really had an idea of what she wanted to do um, way before senior year of college, if that makes any sense. High school, I mean, not college. But <laughs> So you were really going after it. I'm not mad at that. Yeah, yeah. It was it was early. I got lucky to have an early start on that. All right, so getting to Ball State, doing their news program and, you know, navigating through that, how was that process for you getting a job afterwards, after graduation? Um, getting a job afterwards, it. a lot of my classmates, I will say, a lot of them that I knew at the time had the luxury of having jobs as soon as they came out of school, and I did not. So... I would say it took me about six months to land a job after graduation, and those six months were really discouraging and really trying. You know, you send out all of these resume tapes everywhere, and I'm almost positive that I sent them to all 50 states at one point, but who knows. And, you know, I would get these responses of thank you for your interest, but, or none, or I get no reply <laughs> at all. So 
it, it was rough and it was discouraging, especially when you're seeing, you know, some of your classmates getting their start and enjoying their first step in the career. It was a bummer, but I just kind of had to stay prayed up, you know, <laughs> and keep myself busy with other things so I wouldn't focus on it too much. So I was working three other jobs at the time. So that kept me very busy to take my mind off of it. But when I wasn't working any of those three jobs, I was applying places. I was just trying to get my feet wet in any way that I could possible. All right. And dealing with that adversity, what's something that you would tell someone that's getting ready to go into the media field like on day one? So this is like basically an incoming freshman in the college, technical school, whatever the mm -hmm. case may be. What would be your mm -hmm. like word of advice that you wish you would have got your first day? Um, Let's see. I would probably say, I mean, and this advice I did get um, in the beginning, but I still think it's so universal that everybody should take that. But it's don't be afraid to get involved early, you know, jump in and find ways that how can I get involved in my major? How can I do something hands on that allows me to get involved early? Because at the end of the day, these employers are not looking at your grades. They're looking at what did you do in college? You know, what experiences did you do in college to better yourself at your craft? You know, how did you apply those skills that you learned in the classroom into a real world setting, whether that be a student media group or internships or whatever the case may be? Don't be afraid uh, to find those opportunities early. And just because you are a freshman or underclassman, that does not mean you can't get involved. A lot of people have this um, stigma that you have to be a upperclassmen to start getting your hands dirty in some of these um, parts of your major, but that's not true. I mean, I was involved with student media freshman year, and I was involved all four years, and I really think that contributed greatly to my experiences to prepare me for my real-world job. All right, so correct me if I'm wrong, your first entry job into TV was actually as a producer. Can you talk about that role? So I... Um, one of the places I applied to was um, WTHI TV in Terre Haute, Indiana, and they truthfully were the only station that physically gave me a phone call back. I came in toward the station, the news director at the time, she was phenomenal. She seemed very interested in me and getting to know me. And I originally interviewed for a reporter position. And so w during our interview process, she asked me, uh, you know, Leah, what would you say is the most or has been the most difficult thing about your job search. And I said, well, it really just boils down to all of these um, stations, no matter where you are, say X amount of experience is preferred, but how are you supposed to get that if nobody's willing to hire you? You know, I'm fresh out of college and yeah, I don't have real world experience in the newsroom, but you know, I was very involved in school and student media. I have a sense of what a newsroom is supposed to run like, you know, I'm a fast learner, you know, I want to learn and we kept our conversation going. We stayed in touch after that interview and I didn't get the reporter job. Um, it boiled down to another person that had one year of experience versus none for me. But the news director loved our conversation so much and she was like, you know, it really, at the end of the day, it boiled down to experience, but I want to be the person that gives you experience. And she's like, we have a producer opening. I know it's not a reporter job, but there's opportunities to report depending on how you utilize this role. This is up to you. But, you know, you said that all these places that you want to go to don't, they say X amount of experience, but I'm willing to give you that experience to at least get your foot in the door. And what you do after that is up to you. And so I took it. I was a 10 p.m. producer for a year and a half. And 
Did I love producing? No, but <laughs> it was something to get my foot in the door. And I learned a lot in that role. And even in that role, like I was still reporting. It was a lot of coming in early and staying late. Um, you know, I would follow photogs out on shoots. I would turn, you know, regular short stories, Vosots, as we call them in the news world, I turned those into packages and they may not air, but I would have our higher ups look at them like, okay, you know, tell me what I'm doing wrong here. Or, you know, can I get your feedback on the story I turned today? And it was to the point where I was like turning stories along with our reporters. And by the time another reporting position came up in our newsroom, I applied for that and I got it. So it's a matter of applying yourself and showing that you are worthy of that position because in this industry, nobody owes you anything and it's not expected to be given to you. So you really have to work for it and you have to really prove why you're ready. It's a lot of behind the scenes work, but it's very worth it if this is what you want. Absolutely. And someone that does, you know, producing for a living, I definitely can attest to if you know what's going yeah. on behind the scenes, it definitely translates to being on camera and you're not lost. And, mm -hmm. you know, the talent is only as good as a producer makes them. So as much as yep. you have great players in the NBA, like a LeBron James, like a Kevin Durant, it's really the coaches behind the scenes that's making sure they stay great. I think that's something that yep. a lot of people don't really realize. But in the meantime, you were doing all this in Terre Haute and getting your shot and your shine that you rightfully have earned and deserved on every level. You also Thank had you. some time to date, and you also found <laughs> some time to fall in love. And, you know, yes. let's explain to me and my listening audience how you were able to maintain that work-relationship balance. Because... It's not easy when there's a, you know, news cycle that really doesn't end or a radio cycle that doesn't end because mm -hmm. everything always happens. There's something always breaking. How did you right. maneuver through that? <laughs> well, I think the key is having somebody that understands. And in my case, my husband is not in the news industry. He's in the education sector, but he also is a coach. So, you know, in the sports world, that is always ever evolving. There's always some practice, some game, some type of sports commitment that, you know, pulls him away from everyday life sometimes. And he was very receptive to the fact that my job is one that doesn't end. It's not a typical summers off or holidays off, weekends off, none of that. I work morning shift and I've been morning shift for several years now. I mean, I start my day at 2 a.m. and I get home between 10.30 and 11 in the morning. Uh, so, but it's because I have somebody that understands and wants to understand, even though he's not familiar with the new sector. I mean, he's always asking me questions about different things on my job, which I love, you know, because he's interested. But he understands it. And I love the fact that he respects what I do for a living, especially in this news industry where People are very quick to crap on journalists and the job that we do. Um, some say it's not a real job, but I beg to differ. But, you know, to have somebody that respects your line of work and genuinely is interested in your line of work, I think that is a big help. That's, you know, I struggle with maintaining a work-life balance sometimes. You know, I'm always working even at home. I'm on my work laptop all the time writing stuff and researching things. But it's nice to have somebody in your life that helps you slow down a little bit and just is able to help you find that balance when you can't find it yourself. All right. So in that, we had talked earlier and I know you had mentioned mm -hmm. like comparing your chapter one to someone else's chapter 20. Do you think that applies yes. to your relationship as well? Because I know there's a lot of folks getting married out here and then, you know, the mm -hmm. bridal showers and 
forced baby showers, if that's what you are planning on. You know, right. are, have you had that, you know, kind of concern or I, I don't even want to say envy, but just like I'm, I'm looking at y'all. What, what am I doing wrong? Was that ever a point for you at any point in time before meeting Aaron? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think everybody goes through that little point where you see your friends are getting engaged or having babies and people, associates from high school and stuff like that. And it just looks like their life is really flourishing, which is great. But everybody has their time and their moment. And in that particular frame, it may not be your time or your moment yet. And that's okay. And I think that's kind of the gift and the curse about social media is that we only see how great everybody is doing. You know, we don't see the downfalls. We don't see those moments of, God, what am I doing wrong? You know, we don't see that. We see the successes of everybody all the time, which is cool. But at the same time, that can really take a toll on your mental because you're constantly comparing where you are in life to somebody who may be a little bit farther along than you are. And, you know, we're seeing that on social media. So, I mean, of course I have those moments too, but I really do believe that things are supposed to happen when they are supposed to happen. I did not think that I was going to get married before I turned 30. I thought it was going to be, you know, way down the line. I thought I was never going to get married. So I'm like, this is my husband and he's from Terre Haute of all places. (laughs) You know, not that that's a bad thing, but I just never expected I would meet him there. So, but yeah, I mean, we all have those moments and I think social media attributes to that quite a bit. Okay, so now I kind of want to shift gears because you actually got married during the pandemic. Like, this is, you were engaged. And oh, my gosh, yeah. You were getting ready to be Mrs. Edwards. And <laughs> yeah. then, you know, the world shuts down. So how did you maneuver that? Oh, I really, I wish I could tell you. I really don't know. Uh, to be honest, it was a lot of faith and prayer and a lot of talking myself down off the ledge moments. And honestly, it really boils down to having a supportive, um, a supportive group, a circle behind you. You know, our wedding party was phenomenal. Our family was phenomenal and making sure we both kept our heads in this process because, you know, when Aaron proposed, uh, back in July of 2019, I never imagined a global pandemic would, you know, hinder all of our plans, but, um, we've had to pivot and change so many times and you know our bachelor and bachelorette parties the locations change like 10 different times because we were in between things shutting down and opening up and shutting down again and wedding dress shopping that was a nightmare because I had to reschedule my appointment like four times because the bridal shop kept closing and reopening and closing and reopening because it was right in the beginning where people didn't know if it was enough to shut down shop yet or not so it was just a lot I kid you not that even on the week of our wedding, I think we were about two days out and there was a announcement coming from Governor Holcomb um, regarding more COVID-19 restrictions. So uh, Aaron and I sat down in front of the TV and we're like, oh God, okay, what could this possibly say? Like we were like, it was like watching the presidential election, like just kind of like on pins and needles, just watching on TV. And Governor Holcomb comes on and he says, you know, our wedding was November 14th, which was a Saturday. And so he goes, starting um, this weekend, I'm going to pull back um, and tighten up on our restrictions. Because I think at that point, Indiana was on a 75% open. So he was going to draw it back to, I think, 50% opening, maybe. I can't remember, but he was pulling it back some. 
But he said, you know, starting on November 15th is when I am pulling back these restrictions and we're going back to a little tighter regimen. And I just remember Aaron and I looking at each other going, oh, thank God, because <laughs> we were off by that one day. And I really do think that was a sign from God that, you know, this is meant to happen and this is meant to happen on this day that you planned it. You know, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. And, you know, we had serious consulting with our family. Our parents are older and we wanted to know, do y'all feel comfortable with us having this wedding? Because we were expecting about, you know, judging by the RSVPs, we were expecting a little more than 100 people. And so I asked my parents, Aaron asked his family, I was like, are you sure? Like, do you feel comfortable with us having such a big wedding? Like, you know, and they said, you know, we, we're comfortable with it, whatever you're comfortable with. And my dad was like, at this point, people have made up their minds whether or not they feel comfortable with coming. You know, all we can do is take the precautions on our end and do our part. And what people choose to do or not do is on them. So our venue was amazing. They had sanitizer at every table. Chairs were all socially distant. My mom hired two nurses to do temperature checks at the door. So anybody with a fever or whatnot was turned away, but thankfully no fevers. So everyone who came got to enjoy the wedding, but we had masks required for the ceremony. Now the reception, if you're eating and drinking and whatnot, that, you know, the mask was off, but masks were required for the ceremony. People abided by that and it just turned out to be beautiful. And at the end of the day, no reported cases of COVID-19 came from our wedding. So that was truly a blessing. And I really do think that was nothing but God's doing there because that was something that we were really worried about was any guest walking away with any type of illness. So we got very lucky. That's amazing. I'm grateful that mm -hmm. the wedding went without any hitches, but I definitely do not yes. want to continue this episode without showing love to your husband, Aaron, and explain <laughs> yes. to me how you guys really met, because, again, we work six to seven day weeks, and the work, again, the yeah. new cycle never stops, so when did you find time to, you know, fall in love and become someone's fiance and now wife? I know. Oh, that's so weird to say, right? <laughs> no, it's not. You but, earned that uh, ring. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> but uh, we honestly met on Twitter of all places. When I started working in Terre Haute, he followed me and I looked and I was like, okay, who's this guy? And I clicked his profile and saw he was a coach in the area. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I'll follow him back, you know, another resource to have somebody to know in the community. Cause at that time I had only been there for, I, I want to say maybe three years. And so I was like, okay, okay. So accepted it, followed back. And that was kind of the end of it. Well, fast forward to, I want to say a few months down the road and we were at the same bar and he came up to me and he was like, Hey, I'm not sure if you like know me, but I follow you on Twitter. And I was like, yeah, Aaron, right? And he's like, yeah. So we chatted and, uh, hit it off for a little bit. And at that point I was there with a friend of mine for his job at the time, this bar that he was there, he was running like a promotional of some kind. So I just came to like, you know, support. And so when he went to the restroom, Aaron was like, is that your boyfriend? I'm like, no, it's actually a good friend of mine. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. And at that point, he was getting ready to leave. So he left. We, you know, said, nice to meet you. That was the end of that. Now, this is where the timeline gets fuzzy, depending on who you ask. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Aaron will say that he waited a week, but I say he waited like two days. But he was in my DMs and he was so polite. 
it was so cute. It was so polite. And he was just like, you know, I'm a really shy guy. I don't really, I don't really do stuff like this. He's like, uh, and if you have a boyfriend, I apologize. Or if you're talking to somebody, I apologize. But I really thought you were good looking and I would love to take you out to dinner. And our friend at the time, he used to work at my station. He was like, but JT said you were single. And I'm like, why does JT know I'm single? Because, <laughs> you know, I, it took me a minute to respond. So I was like, oh, I don't know. And all my friends were like, well, this is why you don't have a boyfriend now. Cause you keep saying no to everybody. So at least give the guy a chance. He's, he was so polite. And that's what really got me. He was really polite and really sweet. And so I said, sure. And at the time I was working night side. So that shift was generally 2.45 PM to midnight. Um, and I was like, well, well, if you want to do dinner, the only place I could do it at is at a bar because I don't get off till after midnight. And so he's like, well, that's fine. You know, I, I can wait up. And so he waited up and bless his heart. He is a school teacher. So, you know, he had to be at work at like seven the next morning. <laughs> so he waited it out. And our first date was at Charlie's Pub and Grub, which is the local bar in Terre Haute. And, and that has become our spot. And we took a set of engagement pictures there, too, because that place is really special to us. So that that's kind of where it all started. Really simple, really, you know, cut and dry. The DMs, he, he dove into DMs and prospered. That's that, what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. All right, so he's from Terre Haute. You're working in Terre Haute. Right. And you've made a recent career change where you moved back to Indy, you know, to work for right. um, some local affiliates there. But mm -hmm. how do you get from Terre Haute back to Indy, and how do you get your now husband, Beyonce probably at the time, to, hey, you know, mm -hmm. I, I need you to come with me because... To me, right. what you pulled off was you my Ball State Kamala Harris. Like, you know, who's also <laughs> a wonderful woman of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Oh, you know it. So for that to happen, you know, you, you brought the husband with you. How did that happen? No, man. Uh, it was a lot of conversations. Um, I had always made that my intention from the get-go when we first started dating that, you know, this is great that I met you here, but this is not where I am staying. Um, and he understood that he knew I was from Indianapolis and he knew one of my goals was to go back home. And he was like, I support that. I support whatever you want to do. And I'm going with you, you know? And so I was really thankful to have that in the beginning. But as of this last year was when I really started my job search to make my next move. Now, a lot of that included networking in Indianapolis, obviously, but, you know, I was getting um, interest from other stations in Louisville, Kentucky, you know, places like that, uh, Cincinnati, you know, different places. And I remember one of them was even in Pennsylvania. And I remember asking Aaron, like, how do you feel about going to Pennsylvania? He's like, he's like, what? Like, so I would always ask him that every time a station would reach out to me because I just love to gauge him and just see what he thought, you know. He was like, I'd be cool with it, but it's not the ideal place I want to go. But if that's where you feel comfortable for your career, then, you know, all right, that's fine. But we all knew that Indianapolis was the better fit for us. I wanted to go back home. And Indianapolis is a good distance from Terre Haute to where he can still go be with his family and help his family whenever they need that. So it ended up being a perfect move. Um, but I was just very lucky to have somebody that was supportive of my job and the moves I wanted to make. And he was willing to come with me, whatever that move may be. All right. So now here's my, what do I do now? Because this is someone I, okay. I have no expertise in. So you're a married woman with a very, mm -hmm. very successful career. 
you balancing both because now it's not a girlfriend situation. This is like this no. is my other half. This is what I'm spending the rest of my yeah. life with. And how are you creating that healthy balance between both? Because you don't want to just fall flat in your wifely roles and you absolutely don't want to take a back seat now in your career. Right. So how right. are you really now back in Indianapolis? How are you maneuvering through that? Honestly, a lot of communication because the secret right now is that we are living apart. Um, really? Yeah. My husband is still working in the Terre Haute area and he just took another job for education in Clay County, which is about, uh, I want to say 30 minutes or possibly 45 in between that from Indianapolis. So it's a shorter distance from Terre Haute, which is like an hour, but we are living apart and we have been since I started my job. Right now we're house hunting and as you know, the market is insane. So I'm living with my parents during the week, um, which has been great because this has allowed me to save money and, you know, kind of get our ducks in a row for house hunting. And my husband is still in the house that we previously shared and he has our dog. And so um, I go there on weekends and sometimes he'll come down to Indy on weekends. So it's just really, uh, it's not the ideal way to spend our marriage, especially when we just hit our seven month anniversary and we're not even living in the same house. <laughs> but Aaliyah, that has been very rough. I don't interrupt right now, but you know, you're yeah. in a long distance relationship right now. I didn't, I didn't think you'd be in one yeah. as a married woman. I know it's a bummer, but I will say we have made the best of it. And we are very fortunate to have people that are able to help us through that. You know, in this case, my parents being so great, letting me stay here at home. Mm -hmm. And I have a room here still. It has not been turned into a craft room. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, yeah, yeah, you know, so it's been great. They've allowed me to get myself together and get my money up so that I can contribute to our um, house hunting process. And the same with Aaron. Aaron's been, you know, taking control of our bills back in Terre Haute. And he's been helping get his ducks in a row on his side of things. So the distance is not ideal and it's been really hard, but we talk every day and we communicate and we try to make the most out of it. I mean, on Tuesday, um, like literally Aaron came to Indy and he just came up to take me out to dinner, you know, just to still keep that dating aspect alive. And he was just here yesterday. We cooked out for my dad for an early Father's Day celebration because my husband has football obligations today. So, you know, we make the most of it. I go down there every weekend. I'm planning to go down there next weekend because we got stuff planned. So we try to cram a lot of stuff in on our weekends, but it's been a very interesting situation, but we worked through it with communication. And I think you like defining your relationship through communication, through, you know, being able to sacrifice for one another has yielded success. If mm-hmm. you guys are, you know, seven months in and they ready, like, so you tired, Jen? You know, what yeah, you no. like, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's been, um, it's been an interesting ride, but you know, our, our faith has been one of the bigger things. Um, we, Aaron and I pray every night for our marriage that, you know, we're just able to continue to be strong and have God at the center and whatever will be, will be. And I know we'll work out, of course, but it's just, you know, making sure we don't lose our heads to get to that other side of finding a house. Right. All right. So I know you guys are very much so in love and it's Mm -hmm. still very early in the marriage. So you may not be thinking kids just yet, but I know you are a proud auntie and I want you to really just talk about 
your love of your niece and nephew and you know how the pandemic has even changed how you how often you've seen them oh yeah the pandemic has made that very rough you know i have not physically hugged my brother or my niece and nephews in a little more than a year and it's been very rough my brother and his wife and the kids they all live in arizona my parents just went out there um to go visit the kids and it's unfortunate that i couldn't go but I started a new job, so my vacation time ain't kicked in yet. You know how that goes. And <laughs> I do. Yeah, yeah. So I had to wait it out. I probably will not be able to get on a plane to see them until sometime in October. But they are just growing up so fast. We stay in touch through FaceTime, phone calls, text messages. My brother sends me pictures of the kids all the time. And they just get, are getting so big. And they all look just like him. Every single one. They're just three little clones of my brother. Um, <laughs> But they're just the greatest and smartest little humans. And I just cannot wait for the day that I'm actually able to physically hug them again because it's been it's been hard. It definitely is hard being away from, you know, my nephew, my guy kids and you do the best that you can. Mm -hmm. So I can't always yeah. take that eight hour drive or do that right. hour 45 minute uh, flight. But, you know, mm -hmm. thank God for technology. Thank you. Know, I know. Uh, siblings that keep us as close as we possibly can, even with the distance. Right. So definitely got to give a right. shout out to your brother for making that happen. Oh, yeah. All right. And I definitely want to, you know, talk about Juneteenth because it's something that I saw you mm -hmm. post about. And I know it's, yeah. you know, something that a lot of people are getting woke to after another year. Right. How do you feel about Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday? And what does it look like moving forward? Sure. As far as Juneteenth being a federal holiday, I mean, I think it's great, of course. Um, it's long overdue. But I honestly feel like this is a drop in the bucket of what needs to be done to help protect the black community. Um, you know, I do think it's great that with this federal recognition, it allows more eyes to understand our culture, our history. Um, but there's just so much work that has to be done. But I do understand that you have to start somewhere. Um, a lot of people are, you know, are not happy with Congress just now making this a federal holiday. And I mean, I get that wholeheartedly. Uh, but you got to you got to acknowledge that there has to be a starting point somewhere to make change. And I hope that this is that springboard to do more by us, you know, to do right by us. I do feel like the black community has done such a great job with making Juneteenth on the front lines, even before this being a federal holiday. And it's inspired other people, other cultures to look up what it means, look up the significance of this day. And I think that's amazing. You know, I've had a few people reach out to me asking questions about Juneteenth, which is wonderful. You know, some asking about how can I celebrate? You know, how can I teach my kids or other ways? How can I support black owned businesses? What are some black owned businesses in the area that I could help support? You know, it's just nice to see the interest and it seems like genuine interest from other people. So, and I think it's awesome too that working in the media and being a black woman, you know, I have this platform to tell people about it. And I think that's great. And that's one thing that I love about this job too, is being able to expose our viewers that may have otherwise not been exposed to this and putting this in front of them. And they're taking it upon themselves to do the research. They're reaching out and asking questions. So does it fix everything? Absolutely not. And, there, and we all can agree that there's so much more work to be done, but I'm not mad that this is a starting point. I definitely can a co-sign and attest to all of that. And I'm very grateful for mm -hmm. the black women on the front lines that made this possible. Because I know yeah. that's why this first month is dedicated strictly to black women because black women just get it done. That's just what I know. Yeah, we do. 
All right, and I got a bonus question because we talked about this before, but I definitely want to make sure we get it done right. So you are Mrs. Aaliyah Edwards, but I want to know when are you changing the last name on TV? Or is there a, you know, an idea of changing the last name? I just want to know. Yeah, yeah. I get this question quite a bit, actually. Um, but as of right now, um, my name will still be Blackburn on air. Out of homage to my dad, he really wanted me to keep it. <laughs> He's like, I understand that, like you know, your last name is different legally, but uh, you know, can you can you keep Blackburn for on air? So I was like, all right, I'll do you that solid. I'll do that. And my husband was cool with that. <laughs> he understood. Um, he's like, he's like, yeah, that's cool with me. I get it. Uh, but yeah, Blackburn will stay. And I feel like it's just more of a TV name, I guess. <laughs> so, but uh, it'll stay. Um, even though Edwards is the, the real deal, but Blackburn will stay on air. All right, so when I send something to the house, I need to make sure I got Edwards on the right because I don't want to start no trouble, you know. I, yeah, yeah, sure yeah. Sure if you don't mind making sure you do that. Okay, I just got to make sure. Hey, I just got to ask. If we ask not, we know Right, not, so right. We got to make sure everything okay. is good. Aaliyah, I appreciate your time. How can they follow you? How can they watch you? Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I definitely enjoyed this. As far as following me, I'm all over social media. So Facebook, Aaliyah Blackburn. Twitter is Aaliyah B on TV. And Instagram is Aaliyah Blackburn News. And as far as how you can watch, I work for Fox 59 at CBS 4 in Indianapolis, Indiana. So I work for our morning show. So that is dark and early. I don't want to say bright because the sun is not up yet. Um, so that's from 4 to 10 a.m. on Fox and 5 to 7 on CBS. And that is also live streamed. So fox59.com or cbs4indy.com. Just like that, Aaliyah Edwards, Aaliyah Blackburn Woo-hoo. on the air. And I appreciate your time here on What Do I Do Now. Definitely make sure you subscribe. It's on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you subscribe to podcasts. Wherever you listen to it right now, just press the subscribe button. There's great episodes coming. And I might as well tell you while I'm on, you know, this episode that I'm talking to Stephanie next. So I, I got to keep it with the, with the AKAs, you know. I, oh, so yeah. And, and you know, with the same line, too, because you know that's my line, sister. Yeah, now. Yeah, had to represent. So <laughs> I'm pretty sure there'll be plenty more Ball State mentions sure. and guests on the podcast but i definitely want to make sure i show love to you thank you for all that you do for our community for what you do for the indianapolis area and just representing yourself and your sorority all over the world all right sam thank you so much you have a great evening it's been another episode of what do i do now